Welcome to the Trek Online Bible School podcast number four, our first ever season uh, starting a podcast, and I'm going through the book of Romans one chapter at a time, and today I will be teaching you on uh, Romans chapter four. So before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come here in Jesus' name, the one who makes us worthy to be in your family and worthy to inherit eternal life, as well as so many other tremendous things. Father, I pray that this chapter would uh, illuminate the people who listen and help them understand how great your love is and how much you love us. Guide us through every part of this from verse to verse. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, coming into chapter 4, <clears throat> we have to acknowledge that uh, Paul was teaching Jews predominantly. He was speaking to the Roman church, and it was made up of Jews and Gentiles, but he is speaking predominantly to Jews, people who understand the law that God gave them, and the Jews grew up in a spiritual economy uh, where they had to keep God's law in order to be right with him. Now, what they are learning through the gospel has to begin with their inability to become right with God. And uh, the only way they can be right with God is through a gift that he provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's hard for religious people to accept, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. When you're a religious person and you go to church regularly or you do what you would consider righteous things regularly and you um, give money to the poor, you help out your neighbors, you do a lot of things and people in your community may call you God-fearing and a good person. Uh, a lot of times that gives us the false impression that God must be really pleased with us and therefore we are on his list to be enter, to enter right into heaven. <clears throat> and the, the truth of the matter is, uh, the Bible says that all of our deeds of righteousness. You can find it in the Old Testament. I'm not going to go to the exact address right now, but the Bible says all of our righteous deeds are considered as filthy rags when you compare them to the righteousness of God. It's not that he disdains people or their efforts. Rather, it's that because of who he is, and because of his righteous nature, when you try and compare even our best acts or our best efforts, they come up so far short, they end up looking like filthy rags next to God's pure righteousness. So that's our problem as a race. And that's why God sent Jesus was because we couldn't uh, save ourselves. We couldn't rescue ourselves, and he wanted us to be with him for eternity, and uh, in our present sinful state, we can't. We're incompatible with him. We, uh, you know, we've rejected him. We are rebellious to his ways. Uh, we, we don't uh, want to uh, become like him, and in some cases, the Bible indicates that there are people who hate him. Uh, and you will actually find that in our own country. You'll hear people talking against 
uh, Judeo-Christian values. You'll hear uh, some people talking against God, uh, some people who will come right out and mock God or the reality of God. So there are people who hate him, people who don't believe in him, people who don't accept him as their creator. And, uh, and yet, God sent Jesus to die for them as well. Uh, so that they could, if they want, when they hear the gospel, they are, uh, they are invited to come to God and uh, Jesus paid for their sin. Of course, if they don't want it, uh, if they refuse uh, God's uh, gift of love, then sadly, their blood is on their own heads. But when we come to the end of chapter 3, Paul has pointed all this out, that uh, people are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, the religious uh, kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, well, then what was the point of me doing my best to do good deeds for my entire life? Um, and in a way, they're saying, okay, so if we put faith in God, what about his law? Does that mean that it doesn't count for anything? Doesn't it mean anything anymore? And Paul said, well, not at all. The truth of the matter is when we are justified by faith, we actually uphold the law. Our And you'll find this at the end of chapter 7 of Romans, that Paul recognizes the battle that every person has with their fleshly nature. And when a person is born of God, they still have a fleshly nature they have to battle with. And so uh, Paul actually felt wretched uh, because he wanted to do God's law, but he found it impossible to, uh, to do it because of his fleshly nature. That's why he says at the end of chapter 7, um, so with my mind... I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. And I'm not going to go any further with that. We'll uh, address that in chapter 7. But given the fact that these Jews, these religious people, are told that they are justified before God uh, through faith and not through their righteous deeds, uh, he goes to their forefather, Abraham, because Abraham is considered the, the father of the Jews, and uh, he is uh, revered by the nation of Israel. He's also revered by uh, the Arabs and other Middle Eastern countries because they come from him. Uh, now, the Lord said that uh, he considered Abraham's descendants as all those who uh, come through Isaac's line, and so the other uh, bloodline of Abraham, God is not reckoning as uh, Abraham's descendants unless they put faith in Jesus or faith in God the way Abraham did. Then they become Israel, spiritual Israel, and we'll be addressing this later on in this book. Uh, all these things are necessary for us to understand because it's not our thinking or our logic that gets us to heaven or that uh, gets us right with God. It is God's way. It is God's thinking. It is God's provision. And so he said that Abraham's descendants were going to be uh, reckoned through Isaac and Isaac alone. And Isaac happened to be a child of promise, a miracle child, not a child born uh, by the normal fleshly uh, way of reproduction. Not that that's bad, but in this case, God is building a nation of faith, if you will. And so God is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth and by faith. Uh, you can't be born again unless you put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, uh, Paul goes to the example of Abraham when he is trying to help these religious Jews uh, wrestle with this idea of justification by faith 
And once again, remember, the justification means that God declares someone innocent of all sin. That's what justification means. And, uh, and Abraham was actually credited as a righteous man before God because of his faith, and we'll see that here in a moment. So Paul starts off by saying, and I'm reading from the New International Version, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter of justification through faith? He goes on to say, If, in fact, Abraham was justified by his good works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So Paul said, hey, if Abraham, uh, which Abraham did a lot of good works, uh, Abraham was a good guy. Uh, and if Abraham did a lot of good works, uh, he might be able to boast himself, but he certainly couldn't boast before God. It's like I said before, all of our righteous acts compared to God's purity uh, basically uh, look like filthy rags. Uh, and uh, I could go even deeper. Uh, in fact, I probably should. The actual, um, the actual words or the actual translation for that term, filthy rags, uh, in the Old Testament means used menstrual cloths. And I know that's offensive, but God was the one who, the Holy Spirit was the one who used that phrase to describe how our best efforts at righteousness compare to God's nature of righteousness and purity and holiness. It's not that God is trying to look down upon us. It's that because of who he is and because of who we are, uh, you can't, we're just not the same. That's why God had to send Jesus, because we were in such bad shape that uh, he had to find a way to f forgive us of our sin and to make us right in his presence so we could approach him and uh, be considered pure in his presence. And that's what Jesus did for us, by the way. So anyway, let me continue in verse 2 of uh, Romans 4. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? It says in Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God came along one, one evening, and um, uh, Abraham went out of his tent and stood with God, and, and this is a... Uh, a uh, an appearance of the Lord in physical form that would take another lesson to describe. But let me just say the scripture points out that God appeared uh, in a physical form and he had a relationship with Abraham. And Abraham went outside of his tent and was looking up at the sky with the Lord. And the Lord told him, hey, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. No one's going to be able to count them and I'm going to bless you. Um, and at that time, Abraham didn't have any children, and he was getting old. And so the Bible says that Abraham, listening to God, believed him, because he knew that God was divine, he knew uh, something of his character, and he believed that God would do what he said. By the way, this is saving faith. You want to know what saving faith is? You want to know how a person is born of the Spirit, born again, if you will? It is through faith like that, that when God speaks in his word, when God speaks in your heart, if you believe him, if you accept it and, and, and you believe it enough to act upon it, He'll save you. He will give you a new nature. He'll transform you. He'll cause your spirit to come alive. You will become one of his children, and the Bible says that you will be a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, um, 
Once again, in verse 3, Paul said, the scripture says that Abraham believed God and God credited that belief as righteousness. Now, uh, the next verse talks about the obvious truth uh, when you compare works or efforts on our behalf to faith, which is simple trust. Paul says, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So, in other words, if you earn your right standing before God through your good efforts, then it's not that God gives you any gift. It's that he owes you uh, the status of right in his sight. And the truth is, no one can do that. The only one who has done that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it is so important to us uh, that Jesus became a man, that he lived a sinless life. The Bible says that he was without sin. You'll find that in Hebrews, uh, that he lived a sinless life, that he kept the law of God perfectly as we uh, are told to, uh, but none of us can. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So basically, we're without hope when it comes to eternal salvation and, uh, and eternal existence with God, none of us have any hope. That's why he sent Jesus as our Savior. So, Paul says in, in verse 4, to the one who works or the one who tries to become right in God's sight through their good efforts, um, he says, you know, he says, wages are not credited as a gift. Remember that... Uh, God said, or the scripture says, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God uh, placed in, in Abraham's spiritual bank account that this man is righteous before me. And so once God justifies you, uh, that's the end of it. Uh, you are right in his sight. So, but to the one who works, uh, you know, they're earning what they receive. Paul said, however, in verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Here is the deal. There are a lot of people who refuse to accept justification before God through faith. They may say they accept it, but by their actions, you can tell they don't accept it because they continue trying to earn righteousness in God's sight through their actions. In fact, there is one a denomination in Christendom who refuses or who, who um, does not like the phrase being born again. They, uh, for whatever reason, it goes against their way of thinking or their way of believing, and, and yet that particular uh, denomination emphasizes good works, being a good neighbor, um, you know, giving to good causes, uh, helping your neighbor, and, and they basically teach their members that if you are good and you go to church this number of times, you, you pray in this way, you give, um, and, and they, they provide all kinds of rituals for their members so that they can earn their right status before God. Um, there are Christians who still believe that. They believe that Okay, God forgave, you know, in some cases, people believe that God forgave all their past sins. Well, now God gives them a clean slate. That's how they see it. And so now they have to take it from here, if you will. Uh, but that's just not true, because no matter how hard you try, even though you're born again, uh, you're still going to sin. And the moment that you sin, you become guilty 
of what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And so when you commit a sin, you have just earned death if you are relying on yourself to live sinless so that you can be declared righteous by God. That's why the only way for us to be saved from our sin uh, and it's literally a salvation from the penalty of our sin because all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We're all condemned to an eternity separated from God, uh, dead, and, and never able to be in his presence again. In fact, we are on our way to hell that was created for the devil and his angels. That's where people who refuse the gift of God go because the only way of being justified in God's sight is through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin. So anyway, um, God, or Paul is trying to uh, get this point across to these religious Jews that, okay, the way religious people think is their efforts uh, require a wage they earned it and so on the days that they do well they think they earned a pat on the head from god the days they do bad they rely on god's grace then uh, the days they uh, do well they expect a pat on the head from god and the days that they do poorly then they rely on the grace of god friend that is no way to live because basically you're relying on yourself with God's help to come to the end of your life and be welcomed into God's presence for eternity. There's no certainty in that. And you frankly live in a, in a condition where you recognize, you know, you'll say, okay, well, I tried my best and when I, when I failed, you know, I just relied on the grace of God. But, you know, I tried my best, so God should let me into heaven. And that's just not what God says. That's not what the Bible says. Um, it, it's, it's actually self-deception to think that you're going to make it into heaven. And frankly, it's not a very restful, peaceful life to live under that burden of having to earn your way into heaven. There's no peace in that. Um, but when you realize that God gave a promise to Abraham based on his faith alone, Abraham, even though he was a decent guy, Abraham didn't do any good works that caused God to be impressed with him and offer him a promise. Abraham believed what God said, and God credited that as righteousness not works not efforts not you know your good intentions but faith in god trust in god so let's let's go on and uh, i want to emphasize verse five again however to the one who does not work okay let me make this very clear to the one who is not working to earn God's favor, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now that may shock you because it says God who justifies the ungodly. And you'll say, well, that's not right. An ungodly person should not be uh, declared innocent and righteous by God. Uh, th they're ungodly. You know, they need to clean up their life. They need to act righteously. They need to start praying. They need to start going to church. And then God should justify them because they're clearly on a much better uh, path of life and the truth, that's deception once again. That's not how God does things. You, and a big part of what religious people struggle with is pride. 
We struggle with pride because we refuse to believe that our righteous acts are filthy rags. We refuse to believe that. We say, look, I, I took off two weeks of work because my farmer neighbor uh, lost his uh, hired hand and he needed help in his fields. And so I went and helped him for two weeks. If that doesn't count uh, before God as righteousness, I don't know what does. See, and, and this is how wholesome, uh, hardworking people look at their lives. They think that because they, they uh, help someone, because they give to someone, because they help build a church, because they go on a, a missions trip, because they, uh, you know, serve the homeless. There, it's, it's very, very tempting and normal for a person to believe that God is sitting back and crediting all of that as righteousness. If that were true, the Bible would not say that our righteous deeds are basically filthy rags when compared to the righteousness of God. If you can't humble yourself to accept that truth, it's going to be really tough for you to be saved, to be born again. Because without realizing it, you are still relying on your good deeds to be declared righteous by God. And he won't do it because your best righteous deed, your greatest sacrifice does not, uh, does not make you right with him. Once again, it's not that God is trying to prevent us from coming to him. If that were the case, he would not have sent his only son. God sent his only son because he knew that was the only way for men and women, boys and girls, to be saved. In the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray, the Gospels say that when he was praying there, it was shortly before he knew that he was going to be arrested and crucified. And in that garden, he was under such distress because he knew what was coming. He also knew that the sin of humanity from the beginning of creation to the end of time, the sin of humanity was going to be placed on him and he was going to bear it. And this whole, uh, situation, the reality of what he was going to go through and what he was going to bear overwhelmed him to the point that he sweat, the Bible says, great drops of blood. He was so stressed out. And it, it was so much of a burden that he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. So Jesus, who was the perfect son, who had no sin nature in him, who was not tempted at all to break the Father's will or break the Father's word, pled with God that if there was another way of accomplishing the salvation of men, that God would graciously offer it. But he knew, I believe God, Jesus knew in his heart that there was no other way than for a man to suffer and die and pay the penalty that was uh, rightly leveled on humanity because of their sin. And so Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So I pray that God helps you and me to grasp uh, the price that God and the Lord Jesus Christ paid for us so we could be saved by faith. And love him enough, respect him enough 
to humble yourself and recognize that all your greatest efforts will never earn a right standing with God, but rather humble yourself before the Lord Jesus and thank him for his sacrifice and for standing in your place when sin was judged, because that's what Jesus did for us. So, in verse uh, 5, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, and never forget that, my friend, God justifies the ungodly. You say it's not right. It can only be right because Jesus paid for our sin. So Jesus paid for the sin of every ungodly person that has ever lived, which, by the way, is all of us, but I'm sure you can think of some that may be more ungodly than others. Maybe I should suggest a few. Jeffrey Dahmer. Maybe I can suggest uh, different classes of people. Pedophiles. Um, uh, murderers. Uh, perversions. Uh, and and it's, it's hard to... It's hard to uh, find those things that seem so heinous that we can't even think of them without wanting that person to die. Uh, the most ungodly among us can be saved if we come to the Lord by faith, confessing our sin, recognizing that he paid for it, and accepting his forgiveness and then letting him give us new spiritual birth and changing our nature so that we can be a child of God. Uh, because God justifies the ungodly. It's not the good people uh, who God justifies. It's the ungodly people that God justifies. So, uh, David basically said something similar to this in the Psalms. Um, he basically, uh, and this is one of my favorite Psalms, and it took me a while to accept this truth. I, I was not able to accept what David was saying at first. I, I looked at it as David thanking God for forgiving us of past sin or forgiving us for present sin. But listen to what David says, starting in verse 7. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And here's the kicker. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You say, well, if that's the case, then why do I still have to come to the Lord Jesus and ask forgiveness when I sin? Because that's the provision that God has made for us to deal with um, sin in our lives. Even though the Lord has, has paid for it, uh, we still deal with the guilt and the shame of it when we commit a sin. So rather than you know being judged by God as he does to his children, he corrects them when they sin against him or sin against another human being. He'll correct them. But uh, when we sin, uh, he gives us the privilege of coming to him in prayer, asking him for his forgiveness, and he will forgive us, the Bible says. Confess your sins, uh, and, and the Lord will uh, forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that is the provision God can give us because of Jesus' death on our behalf. But what he did through Jesus, what he did was take our sin away. And that's where uh, the Bible says, uh, where, where David says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Uh, that's, that's the peace we have uh, living in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised, which would be the Jews? or also for the uncircumcised, which they considered to be the Gentiles or the, you know, those who were not right with God. And frankly, the, the Jews had trouble accepting 
the Gentiles. They looked down on them. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. They thought they were better than them. And, and Paul said, look, this blessedness is not only for the circumcised, it's also for the uncircumcised. We have been saying, Paul said, that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And, and he had just talked about circumcision and lack of circumcision. And so um, the Jews were depending on circumcision because it was a sign of their relationship with God but Paul included the uncircumcised. He said, look, this blessedness of sin being forgiven, of never counting against us again after we accept Jesus as our Savior, um, this blessedness is not only for the circumcised, but also the uncircumcised. And then he points out, look, we've been saying that Abraham's faith, who was the forefather of the Jews, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then he says, okay, under what circumstances was it credited to him? Was it after he was circumcised that he got, that God credited him as righteous? And the truth is in the Bible, you'll find it very clearly that no, Abraham was not circumcised when God gave him this promise and credited his righteous his uh his faith as righteousness um he was uncircumcised uh continuing on in verse 10 was it after uh, was it after he was circumcised or before and he goes on and says it was not after it was before um so uh, I skipped my place here a little bit. Let me find it again. Uh, verse 10. Uh, verse 11, here we go. And Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that Righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of his faith, of Abraham's faith, and the faith he had before he was circumcised. It was not through God's law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, and here's another precious thing that you will find not only in Genesis, but you will find explained in the letter to the Galatians. God made promises to Abraham that basically ended up a meaning that he would inherit the world. God made a promise to Abraham and to his seed that uh, he would be heir of the world that he would inherit the world, all the people on it, and the, the earth itself. And you say, whoa, where does that come from? You can actually find it in the Psalms, and it's not directly to Abraham, but it is to his seed, the Messiah, because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is the physical descendant of Abraham. And the Bible says that that God spoke to the Messiah saying, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. So the Lord Jesus, and I believe this is going to be realized during the millennium, the Lord Jesus will inherit the entire earth in fact, uh, that's what the scene in the throne room of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ is dealing with because the scroll that is in the hand of God is actually the title deed for the earth. That's what most Bible scholars believe it is because a document in, in their day that was written on the front and the back and sealed with several seals, um, that usually was a, a title deed to property. And so uh, Bible scholars believe that God is holding the title deed to the earth in his hand and, uh, and, 
a man, and he had given uh, rulership of the earth to Adam and Eve in the garden. But Adam and Eve forfeited their right to rule and basically gave it over to Satan because they followed him and not God. And so Satan kind of usurped their authority and became the prince and the power of the air and, and the God of this age and the God of this world. And so for millennia, for thousands of years, Satan has been ruling this world. And we know that because he came to Jesus and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll uh, give you all the nations of the world and their power and their glory, he said, because that has been delivered to me. And Jesus didn't, uh, didn't uh, speak against it. So Jesus knew that Satan had control of the world. But anyway, so Jesus and the, the descendants of Abraham, who expressed the same kind of faith he did, are going to inherit this world because it rightfully belongs to them. And Satan took it away. Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam plunged us into sin and death, and we forfeited our right to rule. Jesus came and uh, stayed perfect in his relationship with God, never sinned, never broke his will, and so he uh, died for our sin. He rose again for our justification. When we put faith in him, we, are, we become sons of God. You'll find that in the Gospels. And by becoming sons of God, we become joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we are joint heirs, we inherit what he inherits. And God told him to ask for the nations of the world and the earth. And God said, I will give it to you as an inheritance. And so I believe what's going to happen in the, uh, in, in the millennium, after Jesus has defeated the armies of the Antichrist, as he has come down and rescued uh, Israel, after they have admitted that he is their Messiah, he will come and uh, set his foot on the Mount of Olives. It'll split and, and so many other things that we could go into. But basically, after the, the beast is defeated, then a thousand years of peace will begin where the Lord Jesus will rule the world, the earth, from Jerusalem on his throne. And we, those of us who have put faith in Jesus, uh, who have expressed the same kind of faith that Abraham did, we will inherit the earth along with him. And so I believe we will be part of the Lord's government, to be honest with you. All over the earth will be... Um, you know, because even Paul said to the, the Christians in Corinth, he said, don't you know that we will judge angels? So when you start thinking about these things, you realize, and, and the Bible says, Peter said, we're peculiar people, um, and we are kings and priests. That's what uh, Peter told us. Well, basically, we're going to be deployed, as I, as I understand the scripture and, and the way I see it, that which makes sense to me, will be deployed all over the earth during the millennium. Uh, God's, or Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters uh, through faith, and we will be deployed in his government all over the, all over the earth. We'll serve in uh, ruling capacities. We will be judges. We will... Uh, be royal um, representatives of the king, and uh, that is our inheritance. And, and so this is what uh, Bible scholars believe, this kind of a promise is what came to Abraham. And it didn't come to him because of his good deeds. It came to him because he believed what God said. And I pray that the Holy Spirit helps you get that into your heart, that it's not your good deeds that will uh, gain you the declaration of just in God's sight. It's not your good deeds that will make you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It's not your good deeds. It's your faith in Jesus.
that God will credit as righteousness. So bear that in mind. In fact, uh, if you were to look here at Romans chapter 4, it is in verse 11, uh, which I was uh, probably um, alluded to earlier. Uh, it says that Abraham is the father of all who believe. Not only those who've been circumcised, the Jews and, and others who are relying on that, uh, but also to those who are not circumcised, because Abraham wasn't, wasn't circumcised when he got this promise. Um, so the important thing is that we have saving faith. And, and I'm going to pause for a moment because and allude to uh, James, uh, the Lord's brother, and his book, and that's the, the book, the letter of James. Um, he said something in there that is important for us to understand because a lot of people think that faith is cerebral, if you will, uh, reason and accepting that Jesus Christ is alive. Uh, but the Bible's uh, James said that the demons believe in God and they're not saved. They're not born of the Spirit. You say, well, what, what are you talking about then? Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to go into the faith here that Abraham had. And uh, it, it's, I, I pray that it will shake us up to remember what it was like when we first heard about Jesus Christ and, uh, and how we responded to that, okay? Let me uh, continue on this section, and we'll get to the faith of Abraham in just a moment. Verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his seed received the promise he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing. And the promise is worthless. If you're relying on your good deeds to be declared righteous before God, then, it, then God's promises mean nothing because you are tr you're earning your right standing. Uh, you're not uh, trusting God to justify the ungodly. You're, you're trying to earn your right standing with him. Uh, and, and Paul points out what happens to people who rely on keeping the law or rules to gain God's favor. He says in verse 15, because the law brings wrath. There's another translation that says that the law of God always brings punishment because people can't keep it. And, and, and this is something that is so important for us to remember. As hard as we try to keep God's law, to do the right things, we are going to fail from time to time. And the moment we fail, if we are relying on our good works, the moment we fail, we're condemned because we're apparently trying to win our own salvation through the, the good things that we do, and we can't do it. That's why we have to rely on Jesus, what he did for us. Uh, and let's finish out verse 15 here. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the New Living Translation says, uh, in order to keep the law, it would have to be no, there would have to be no law to break, is kind of the way the New Living Translation says, because where there is no law, there's no transgression against the law. But there is law now. Uh, God's law, and, and some people are still trying to keep it uh, for their right standing with God. And, and don't forget that uh, we're not nullifying the law through faith, as I said uh, at the end of chapter 3. We're upholding the law, and frankly, with, with God's Spirit in us and following His Spirit, we are going to be doing the things required in the law, but we are not obligated to for our right standing with God because Jesus did that for us. Verse 16, Therefore, the promise of God comes by faith so that it may be by grace. This reminds me of what uh, Galatians says. 
For no, I frank, frankly, it's Ephesians. Forgive me. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the promise to Abraham and to us comes by our faith, so that it can be by grace. You see, if it's if it comes because of our good deeds then basically we're saying to God, you owe this to me. Well, if he's honest with us, he'd say, I'm sorry. You don't keep it well enough to have earned anything with me. So, uh, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed, listen to this, folks, guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. And, and once again, you might say, well, isn't that the Middle Eastern people and isn't that the Jews? Nope. We're going to find out in the Bible that not every physical descendant of Abraham or of Jacob, who later was known as Israel, it says not all the physical descendants of, of Israel are Israel uh, because God considers people of faith. People with the faith of Abraham, whether you're from the U.S., whether you're from, um, whether you're from Germany, whether you're from Iran, whether you're from uh, Romania, no matter what country you're from, if you've expressed the faith of Abraham in the Lord Jesus Christ in God, you are considered part of Israel by God. And that's how uh, we are considered the offspring of Abraham because God considers us the offspring of Abraham when we express faith like he did. He puts us all into the nation, the true nation of Israel. So, um, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Don't forget that. The inheritance is guaranteed to Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, which means not only to those who were uh, trying to keep the law, but now they know they need Jesus, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. So it's, it's those, it, would ba it basically means those who are Jews, but are coming to God through faith like Abraham. He is the, you know, Abraham's the father of us all, as it is written. Uh, this is what God said to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom, okay, this is what Abraham did, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not in existence. Now, let me pause for a moment and point out that what is being talked about here is actually, I believe, the incident where uh, Abraham was about ready to offer Isaac to God as a sacrifice. And you may remember this, that in the Old Testament, the Bible says that there came a time when God tested Abraham and said, uh, because uh, Isaac was born, it was a miracle child. If you'll recall, uh, Sarah and, um, and Abraham had no children. And uh, Abraham... It became about 100 years old, and Sarah, I believe, was in her 90s. And uh, physically, they couldn't have children, but God told them they'd have a child. So um, Isaac was born as a miracle when they were older, and God said one day, I want you to take, and, and this is the child that God promised them. This is the child that, that Abraham and Sarah were uh, waiting for. You have to understand how much they wanted this child. And then one day God said, I want you to take your son, the son whom you love. And Bible scholars say this is the first time in the Bible that you'll hear God uh, refer to a child that a parent loves, which is, I think, uh, significant. Uh, so God said to him, I want you to take your son Isaac, the son that you love, and I want you to take him to the place that I show you, and I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt sacrifice. And, you know, 
a lot of religious people nowadays would say, well, God doesn't approve of uh, human sacrifice. And, and we would go through all of this, and I understand it, and I believe God, frankly, probably understands it too. But the Bible says that Abraham got ready the next morning, saddled his donkey, took wood for the fire, took a knife to slay his son, and took a couple of servants with him, and, of course, Isaac. And he must have had a conversation with Isaac because Isaac went willingly, and most Bible scholars believe that Isaac was probably 30 years old. Um, and so he left the next day. I have no idea what he, what he said to Sarah. But uh, he left because God told him. And we're talking about the faith of Abraham now. We're talking about saving faith. My friend, is our faith in God so deep that we can give our lives to him? I'm not talking about giving my life to die like a, a sacrifice, although that may be called upon. I may be called upon that someday. I'm talking about have we done what Jesus told us that it takes to be his disciple? He says, whoever comes to me must deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. And I'm not sure that we get that message that much anymore. Have we given our life to God so that if he asks for it, he has it? And you might say, well, it's one thing for him to ask for my life, but I can't even imagine him asking for my one and only child that we waited years for and that we prayed for. I can't believe that he would do that. And I understand that would, I, I can't even imagine how impossible that would be to deal with. But, but Abraham dealt with it. In fact, the, the Bible tells us how he dealt with it in the next several verses. But, but he went up to that mountain. He left his servants at the bottom of the mountain he told them that, that he and Isaac were going to go and worship and that they would both come back. So that tells you something right now about Abraham's faith. And so when, when Paul says in verse 17 that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead, the Bible says that Abraham believed God in this situation, that in order for God to keep his word to Abraham, because God promised that all of his descendants would come through Isaac, so in order, in order for his descendants to come through Isaac, Isaac had to be alive and had to uh, live past Abraham and have children of his own. And Abraham knew that. And so he, he realized that God had promised that, so whatever God was doing... Abraham discerned he would have to raise Isaac from the dead if he allowed him to be killed. This was the faith of Abraham. And he believed in God, the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not in existence. Now we go on to the hope, or I mean the, the faith that Abraham had Against all hope, verse 18 of uh, Romans 4, Abraham in hope believed. So once again, Abraham was about 100. Sarah was in her 90s. And there was no physical hope that they would bear a child. But Abraham, even though there was no physical hope, Abraham believed God's promise. And through that faith, God 
reckoned him as righteous, made him the father of many nations, just like he had promised. I'm continuing on in verse 18. Just like God had promised him, so shall your offspring be. And there in verse 19, Abraham, without weakening in his faith, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Once again, Abraham was no fool. He looked at his body. He knew his age. He knew Sarah's age. He knew that she couldn't have a child. He assumed that it, at his age he couldn't produce a child. He was 100 years old. Look at that, verse 19. And Sarah's womb was also dead. So he was no fool. He looked at these things and he still believed God's promise that he would be the father of many nations. So, verse 20. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded Abraham was convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. I'm following uh, the scriptures here. Verse 22, that's why it was credited to him as righteousness, because he was convinced that God had the power to do what he promised. Verse 23, the words, it was credited to him. Okay, now here's where we are blessed. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see, folks, when it comes to faith, God is looking for people who believe in him. Not simply that Jesus was a real person, that uh, Jesus did walk the shores of Galilee, that Jesus walked through Israel and that he was a good teacher, and that he had some good things to say. You see, this is the level of some people's faith, and they th somehow, I think, they're satisfied with that. Sadly, that kind of faith doesn't save anyone. A person isn't born again through mental acknowledgement that, uh, oh, there is a God. You know, that, that's not what gives us the new birth. That's not how we are declared righteous in God's sight by simply acknowledging that, oh, there's a God. I believe there's a God. And, um, and to say, yeah, I believe Jesus lived and existed. Uh, I can even accept that, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, if a person uh, thinks that that level of faith is what it was what Abraham was expressing. Look at this scripture. Abraham believed God when it was physically impossible for him to have a child. God said, you'll have a bunch of them. And he hadn't even had one. In fact, he tried to jumpstart God's promise by having Ishmael. And God said, no, your descendants will not be reckoned through Ishmael. They'll be reckoned through a son that comes from your own body through Sarah. Finally, the miracle came true. And Abraham believed that God had the power to do it, and so he didn't doubt it. And God honored him by declaring him righteous.
And God is looking for people to put that kind of faith in him. To say, if you say, God, that Jesus was your son, if you say that he died on the cross to pay for all my sins, if you say that you raised him from the dead and he is physically and eternally alive now and seated in heaven next to you, if you say that, I believe it. And I believe it enough to follow Jesus and to do what he asks of me I believe it enough to give my life to you and to give my life to him and to follow him and, uh, and he would be the, uh, the Lord of my life. If we have that kind of faith, God will save us. God be with you. I look forward to our next episode together. Have a great day. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within His presence I speak Jesus